Rev it up and welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 1,643. We're back across the pond today, so pour yourself a nice drink, sit back, and enjoy the ride. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Hello, inspiring automotive enthusiasts, and welcome to Cars Yeah. I'm really revved up today and very excited to talk with who's become a little bit of a friend of mine by the name of Cece Muldoon. She's calling in from Woodstock, across the pond, as we say, in uh, Great Britain. Cece, welcome to Cars Yeah. Are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? I am, Mark. All right, we're going to have some fun. You know, before I give you a proper introduction and ask you some of the questions I'm going to ask you, I want to know this. What's one little thing that most people don't know about you? So I would say the one thing people don't know about me is that I trapped uh, single atoms um, with lasers and vacuum chambers for most of my 20s. You trapped? (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Okay. (laughs) We just went beyond my degree in college. Okay, well, maybe explain to us lay people out there. Number one, how do you do it? Number two, why would you do it? So the why would you do it is because you're trying to to control um, quantum particles at a single particle level Mm. um, for the purpose of something called quantum computing. That was the sort of overarching goal of our experiment was to demonstrate some of the basic building blocks of a quantum computer. Mm -hmm. And the idea with quantum computing is that you could manipulate information in a slightly different way than you do with a classical computer, which uses bits by using quantum bits. And in order to have a quantum bit, you need to be able to physically control a single particle, be it an atom, a photon, an ion. And so in my experiment, which was um, uh, University of Oxford, we basically trapped single neutral atoms uh, in order to implement this you know, quantum computing idea. And the how do you do it, basically, in a nutshell, you take a big vacuum chamber, which back then was big octagonal steel thing. Nowadays, it's an evacuated glass cell. And you put some rubidium atoms in it, which is a rare earth on the very left of the periodic table. And you take a bunch of lasers and you tune the lasers precisely to the transition frequency of these atoms. And you basically make a trap made with lasers and it's a bit more complicated than that. It's got magnets and things. But you are able to, using laser light, kind of slow down and trap a gas of atoms to the point where you can then isolate little clouds of them and then eventually a single one and move it around and Ah. sort of play God. Oh, play God. Well, wow, that is impressive. I think you're the first one on Cars Yeah that started with something like that. So classmates, uh, we learned a little something this morning. Yeah, we've moved a little further. We've uh, increased the brain capacity in our skulls to be a little bit smarter. And was that your little kitty I heard meowing? Oh, yes. I'm sorry. Should I put him that's okay because i'll let everybody know that cc we were supposed to talk earlier and and her poor little kitty had a little incident and had to be rushed to the hospital so uh, we had to postpone our talk here how's kitty doing he's doing very well his paw has healed and uh and he's uh just turned six months old yesterday so he's huge he's a bengal Bengal? Um, and he looks like a little tiger yeah oh cool all right well very cool you know john agostini who builds and uh designs very cool custom classic cars he collects some very maybe the same breed they look like tigers or 
you know, like mm-hmm. wild cats. Yeah, he's got a whole bunch of those things. So very cool. Very cool. Well, let me give you a proper introduction. And we're going to dive into some questions. We're going to talk about maybe a little more about quantum physics. And we're going to talk about wine. We're going to talk about cars. We're going to have a lot of fun here today. So here we go. C.C. Muldoon studied physics and finance at Princeton University. Yeah, that place. And holds a Ph.D. in experimental atom and laser physics from Oxford University, as she described. She's a full member of the International Chief Judge Advisory Group, also known as ICJAG, for whom she acts as PR director and is a steering committee member for the U.K.-based Concord the elegance at Hampton Court. Cece has previously judged at many a high brow Concours events, including Pebble Beach, Cavallino Classic, Salon Privé, Schloss Dyke, Masterpieces, Hampton Court, Lazoot, and the Ferrari 70th Anniversary Concours. She's been attending Concours since the young, young age of three, has participated in various tours and rallies, and is herself the proud owner of several classic cars, which we're going to hear about today. I love her cars, especially that purple Dino. She speaks five languages and is originally from Guadalajara, Mexico. She is also CEO of Veravin, a UK-based startup that has developed groundbreaking technology to enable the quick, safe, and non-destructive analysis of wine and other complex liquids in sealed containers. So now you know why she was playing with those little isolated atoms back there in school. She's brought it forward. We'll be back in just a minute to learn more about CC. But first, a word from our valued sponsors that make this show possible. Give them a listen and we'll be right back. Keep your seatbelt on. Did you know Covercraft offers you much, much more than car covers, floor mats, seat covers, and trunk liners? When you visit Covercraft.com, you'll find cologne custom bras, LaBra front-end covers, and hood protectors that protect your vehicle's front end while on a road trip. No more rock chips or hours removing nasty bug jerky from your grill and your paint. You'll find vehicle seatback organizers that keep everything in check, perfect for those kids in the back seat, Spidey Gear webs that keeps cargo that's in your truck bed safely in place, seat heaters, cargo bars, pro nets, rooftop carriers, bumper frames, bump steps, pet ramps, pet travel barriers to keep Fido in the back seat, tire covers, Carhartt backpacks, cooler bags, tote bags, tool bags, and zippered tote bags to keep everything secure. And don't forget their dash mat dashboard covers that shield the sun's damaging UV rays. Covercraft offers you an incredible list of solutions for your favorite rides. They're easy to install, easy to remove pet protection pads, are easy to wash too, and protect your floors and seats from Fido's damaging claws and messy fur and air. And here's something special from me here at Cars Yeah. If you use the code Yeah120 at checkout at Covercraft.com, they'll give you 10% off on me. Covercraft.com. Go there and use the code Y-E-A-H-120 at checkout for that 10% discount. Covercraft, they've got you covered. When it was time to renew my last policy for my collector car, my carrier's rates went up. They went way up. But my usage was the same, and I never had made a claim. No tickets, nothing. What's with that? American Collectors Insurance, that's who now protects my Porsche Turbo. The one I call my orange crush. Has your collector car insurance recently raised your rates for no good reason? Tired of paying an annual membership fee? I was too. So I shopped around, I asked friends for recommendations, and found a winner that I can trust. And boy, am I glad I did. I'm saving hundreds of dollars I can sleep at night knowing my baby is properly insured. American Collectors Insurance have been protecting vehicles since 1976. They provide me with an agreed value insurance policy 
backed by a history of taking care of their clients. What could be better than that? Give them a call for a quote today at 866-ACI-YEAH. That's 866-224-9324. And protect the ones you love like I did. American Collectors Insurance. Classic car insurance designed by collectors for collectors. All right, Cece, uh, I want to ask this question of you. I want you to share a success quote or a mantra, some kind of saying that's been, I say, instrumental in forming your life and the many successes you've had. It's a nice way to get the inspirational tires turning here on cars. Yeah, I know you love to drive, so Cece, grab the wheel. Right, so I think the inspirational um, mantra that I, success mantra that I would like to share today is that if you can see yourself doing something, then I believe you are likely going to get there if you want it badly enough. Mm. So I had a friend when I was at boarding school. So I went to a boarding school on the East Coast called Phillips Exeter Academy. And it was actually my first ever boyfriend. And I remember him telling me this, saying, if you can see yourself doing it sometime in the future and you work hard enough to get it, Within reason, right? I'm not saying I want to go to the moon, but with <laughs> Well, reason. I have no doubt you could make it to the moon, maybe even to Mars, you know? <laughs> so, yeah, I think that would be my, my mantra. And I think it's it's accompanied me throughout my life, especially in building my business. It's sort of having single-minded determination is probably that, and a, and a very tough stomach is, is probably the, the most important factor. Absolutely. You know what comes to mind when you talk about that, and I believe that 100%, is I believe it was Henry Ford said, whether you think you can or you think you can't, you are right. And <laughs> it applies to what you just said, I I believe, because you hear people sometimes looking at others. For instance, today, the day we're recording this show, Richard Noble, a fellow Brit of yours who broke land speed records. I mean, he went 633 miles an hour, and then his team broke the sound barrier at over 700 miles per hour. And in talking with him, I, I said, well, whatever made you think that you wanted to do this or you even could? And he said, well, because I wanted to. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I'm, I'm such a firm believer in being an optimist. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. I think the other thing you said was, well, why not Mark? <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. He's a I can think of several reasons why not. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah. Going that fast. And now he's, I mean, he's in his seventies and now he's working on uh, finding a way to build and beat the uh, record on water, which I think is something like it's held, oh, it's been held since 1976 and it was like a 300 miles an hour. I, is that right? That seems wow. way too fast for the water. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Cobb, uh, Cobb set a record way, way back. Sadly though, lost his life in an accident on the boat. But uh, at any rate, yes, you can do anything you want. You really, really can. And CeCe's a good example of that. So I want to talk a little bit about uh, first and foremost, your business. And I know it's not related to cars, but fine wine and Concours events and great cars do go together. Of course, one of my uh, great sponsors here is Adobe Road Winery, and they make a series called the Racing Series, which is all related to racing and so forth. Kevin Buckler owns a race team. But let's talk about Verivin. Uh, what is this business that you've started? It's so cool to me, the fact that you can, well, I'm going to let you explain it because it's really cool technology. Yeah, no, no problem. So basically, we've developed technology that can analyze liquids through barrier 
in a basically quick, safe, and non-destructive way. Um, now, our first uh, business case is within the food and beverage industry, wine and spirits. But in general, the technology is applicable overall to any time that you have a, a complex liquid in a sealed container and you want to analyze it without breaking the seal. So when I say technology, what I mean, so we've got a, a spectrometer, so a device, and we've got loads of very sophisticated software, so statistical analysis and machine learning techniques. And we've got um, a database that we're building. So it's sort of, you know, it's it goes beyond just physical kit, but we are uh, at our core an instrumentation company. So give me an example. When you think about wine, and this may be obvious to people who are specialists in the, why do I need to know what's inside the bottle? Why don't I just open it and drink it? Sure. So, so let me back up and just say, so the, the, when you think about what you could potentially do with a technology like this, where you can analyze contents without breaking seal, you first ask yourself, when would this be useful, right? And the answer is when either the contents inside this container are very valuable, mm. so I don't want to spoil them by opening the seal, mm -hmm. when the contents inside this container are dangerous for the environment, so I don't want to contaminate the environment around it by opening the seal, or when I have so many of these uh, of this product, of this sample, that I can't possibly test 1,000 of them because I don't have the 1,000 anymore once I open them. So basically, the, the applications, when you, when you zoom out and sort of like bird's eye view for us are, one, batch testing, so large batches of things and looking for inconsistencies within those batches. Two, what we like to call reference challenge testing, when you say, I know this is a known sample and here is a one that I don't know anything about, is it the same? And three, adulteration testing, which is, is there something dangerous inside? Now, coming back to wine, when you when you now uh, narrow those three applications for the wine industry, what they translate to are quality control. So is there a problem within um, my, uh, you know, 1,000 bottles of this particular producer stored in my warehouse? Uh, is there a problem with a, a batch of wine that has somehow started evolving or undergone, it has a fault in it? Uh, has it been badly stored or badly transported? Mm. Two, the reference challenge testing is, is quite clear, anti-counterfeiting. So is this bottle a real example of ah, this wine? Yes. And, uh, and in terms of adulteration, is is there are there unsafe levels of methanol, for example, in this one, which actually occurs a lot with spirits in the third world and leads to loss of human life. So mm. the, the point here is that so these tests are valuable in and of themselves, but really where they come into their own is that eventually you're going to have a database with the optical fingerprints of millions of bottles of wine. So when I say, for example, this reference challenge test, um, at the moment, we need an example of an ex chateau, say 1985 Lafitte, to compare against to know if this other bottle that has somehow emerged for auction, say in Hong Kong, and has been, you know, changed hands 15 times, and it's been stored in a hot kitchen, maybe, or, or you know, maybe even it's it's a fake. Mm -hmm. So I can test against it, and I know whether it's the real thing. But eventually, we will have enough points within our database that we'll be able to populate this n-dimensional space composed of different grape varieties, vintages, uh, you know, uh, faults, so whether the wine is ox oxidized, the same wine evolved over time, and eventually you no longer need a reference because there exists a reference in the database. It's fascinating. I mean, it's just, now how about, let's say human blood. If you have transfusions, you want to make sure the blood is safe. Yes. So one of the one of the projects that we want to take um, we take on board in the future is looking at blood transfusion bags because there is a problem at the moment with being able to test them um, in a way that is non-destructive to see uh, whether the blood is oxidized or not. So it's oxidation of hemoglobin. 
at the moment, we don't know enough about it yet, but it's one of the things that we're looking to move into within the healthcare industry, that and injectables as well. I find this all really fascinating. And the fact that you can go beyond wine, I mean, you think about serums and vials for injections to make sure that a, a whole packet of serums that goes to a jungle somewhere or something is safe to use or comes from other facility is safe to inject into people. I mean, there's so many places to go with this. Really, really fascinating. But we are at Cars Yeah today, Cece. So we got to talk cars a little bit here. And I want to talk about IC Jag. Now, Ed Gilbertson, who's been a guest on my show two or three times now, uh, he's become a friend of mine, just a wonderful guy. Of course, you know him. Talk about IC Jag and your involvement with them and what the organization is all about. Sure. So IC Jag. So we are basically a group of enthusiasts and experts, with the exception of me, mm, um, mm-mm. <laughs> who um, are, are dedicated to Uh, promoting the preservation and the sensitive restoration of classic cars and motorbikes. So the idea here is that, you know, we, we are aware that people are custodians of a piece of history and we want to encourage them to keep as much of the car as they possibly can. And when they cannot do that, to restore it in a way that is, that, you know, is true to history and that is to their best of it, to the best of their knowledge and abilities, correct. So that's kind of what we stand for, and we and we and we do this by promoting the the sort of the dialogue between the restorers, the owners, and the many experts out there in the various marks. Nice. Well, it's an incredible organization. I love the premise behind it. Now, being a Concord judge at all the magnificent venues that you've attended and judged at, obviously, this pandemic year has altered everybody's life. And first and foremost, have you, your family, your friends, your coworkers been healthy? Everyone okay? Yes, luckily enough, everybody in my family is healthy. My parents are uh, still in Guadalajara, Mexico, where they're from. They're locked in there and getting a little bit antsy and getting yeah. a bit impatient, but they're healthy, which is which is really good. Well, good. I'm glad to hear that. So let's talk a little bit about how this has affected you in your inability to go and do things. Uh, but I did see on your Facebook page, Hampton Court had a concord. You were there. Yes, we did. So the Concord scene is slowly reopening here in the UK. We had uh, the kickoff was the London Concord a couple of weeks ago, which was sort of the, the it's a smaller event, but it's the first one where uh, everyone was out. And it, and it was amazing to see people there. It was raining cats and dogs on the first day. Oh, and no. yet there, <laughs> yeah, there was still, so sadly, I mean, this is Britain, it's the way it goes, yeah, but there's yeah. a lot of people there. And uh, Hampton Court, which is the sort of bigger sister Concord, and has come to be in recent years, in my eyes, that, you know, premier event the the lineup of cars that we had was for me at, it's getting to the point where it's at the level of, of a villa d'este or or i mean it's, nothing will ever be pebble beach but it really is sort of punching above its weight and uh, and we had record attendance it was absolutely fantastic the whole weekend we had the gooding auction on saturday which obviously attracted a lot of people and even with having had you know I'm on, as i said as you pointed out i'm on their steering committee we had many many american cars that unfortunately couldn't come and had to pull out at the last minute and Mm -hmm. and i'm talking like large numbers of cars that that just suddenly went we we were able to get a lot of domestic cars and european cars over and i i'm happy to report that it was a you know great success yeah it looked like you were having great fun uh that's most (laughs) and you you had one of your girlfriends with you right um looked like you were driving and we're going to talk about you were you were driving your little mg i i saw you drive yeah your new pa yeah so 
Oh, Mark, I was so pleased because I took a, so basically this is a nice story, actually. I, when we were discussing within the steering committee what we would do, we had very few cars because a lot of our American engines, so we have a lot of very loyal American engines that had pulled out due to COVID. And the steering committee had asked me if I could uh, get my father to bring one of his cars. And, you know, my parents were delighted to be able to come again. They'd been entrance in the past. And obviously then when COVID struck and it became unclear whether they'd be able to travel, I said, well, look, you know, my parents probably won't be able to come, but I can offer you, I've got a, a new, new 1934 MGPA that mm-hmm. I bought in November and I've just imported from Spain. And I would be absolutely delighted to show the car. And this, the committee actually, most of the members of the committee said, fantastic, great car, great driver. There was a little bit of, of hesitation by a few people who sort of thought that, you know, MGPA sitting next to, you know, four and a half liter Bentley and a Daytona <laughs> might not, might, might be a bit out of place. But eventually the car made it through. And I have to tell you, Mark, that the thing that made me the happiest on Friday at Hampton Court was seeing Hector, Hector is the name of the car. Yeah get more attention than any other car on the lineup on that side of the floor. Really, if you go look at the video for Hampton Court, we feature three times. Um, maybe it might have had a little bit to do with the fact that I had a famous chef and a famous lady racing driver in the car, but nevertheless, hey, the car you know, was- it never hurts to have some ringers, you know? <laughs> <laughs> no, and it, it really, it made me so happy because it just goes to show that, you know, you don't have to have a multi-million pound show car yes. to be popular to Concours and to have a great time. You know, it's funny. I've been to some Concours uh, where they're not at that level, but they're very, very nice cars. And often the cars, like I was at one down uh, Forest Grove in Oregon, and uh, somebody brought a Herbie the Love Bug, and everybody was at Herbie the Love Bug. You know, it's you just never know. And your car is just the cutest darn thing. I mean, it's just so cool. It's beautiful. You spoke about it when you were on podcast Keith Martin and I did uh, Buy, Sell, Hold, and we heard about it, but I hadn't seen it yet. So getting to see it and see the smile on your face and at the wheel of that thing is fantastic. Well, before we dive a little bit deeper into cars and your past, I want to ask you this question. I always ask my guests to share a big challenge in their life. And the reason for this is what was the lesson learned and how did you come out of that in a positive way? So take us on a bit of a journey, kind of go back to a time that kind of pushed you up against the wall a little bit and tell us what the lesson learned there was. So I think there's uh, there's two two challenges that I that I could see in my life when I when I looked at this question, sort of biggest, biggest stumbling blocks that I've had. And one of them is professional, one of them is personal. The professional challenge, so as I described, I did a PhD in experimental physics during my 20s. And um, what this entailed is is basically building an experiment from scratch. So when I, I decided to come to Oxford when I was 22, so I'd done, as you pointed out, an undergraduate degree in physics. I actually, I had, a, I had a job offer in finance in New York, and I was sort of all set to go, and then had this moment where I went, I, you know, really would like to do experimental physics and and I think I, I I won't go to graduate school if I if I get roped into working you know in the city in New York then I won't really I won't really do it so and I wanted to, a little bit of a change from the US and you know I, I, I ended up with Oxford and Cambridge as my two choices and within Oxford just where I really wanted to go I had the option of three groups one which was a theoretical physics group, another one which was an experimental physics group that was already set up and had many experiments going, and then a new guy that was moving from Germany and starting an experiment from scratch. Basically, the advice I got when when I was deciding between these three groups was 
if you go for the very the setup lab, you're going to crank out loads of papers. You're probably going to have an easier time getting a postdoc thereafter and making it in academia. If you start from scratch, you will understand everything all that better because you you're you're putting things down and you're not just being told this is the button that turns the laser on. But you know it. it Oftentimes, these experiments don't yield results by the time that you finish your PhD. So I went away and thought about it, and I thought, you know, I'd like to do the latter. I think I want to, I want to learn how everything works from scratch because I think a lot of the motivation for me in doing a PhD in the first place and doing experimental physics was to sort of put myself out of my own comfort zone and try to challenge myself to understand how things work. So I, I've, I've always had this thing where I go, I, I, I don't want to look at a light bulb and not get why that turns on. And I don't <laughs> want to, <laughs> you yeah. know, look at my computer and not get why what's happening or, you know, or think that there is this layer of complication between me and circuit board or me and device and not, not be able to at least have some idea of how to work back from it. So I decided to go with, with this you know, experimental group. Um, and the reason I'm telling you all this is because as a consequence of that, um, I ended up spending the first four years of my PhD building an experiment from absolute ground zero. And when I say ground zero, when I first week one, uh, we looked at the room where our experiment was going to live and there weren't even floorboards in it. They'd been taking out asbestos and this thing was, was a blank room. Oh my gosh. So, <laughs> so we had to fly laser tables in the window we had to order absolutely every last part. So tons of optics and lenses and mirrors and mirror mounts and optical fibers and electronic components and cables and circuit boards and everything. We ordered absolutely everything from scratch. Wow. And I had absolutely no idea what I was doing, Mark. I was dropped off, you know, in the deep end. I remember my PhD supervisor saying to me in the very beginning, like within the first month, well, uh, we need a temperature controller for the vacuum chamber. And I just looked at him <laughs> and sort of Okay. Went off. Do they sell those at Amazon? Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, and actually, mind you, this was in the era before Google told you everything and Amazon sold you everything. Yeah, you know, right, we're yeah. talking 2006, seven here. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. so, you know, I, I basically, the, the, the point of this to get to the challenge is that I spent four years building, building this ultra complicated complicated experiment and learning and crying and feeling frustrated and, and, you know, and, and failing and trying again. And at the end of four years, when we were sort of getting close to having some results, we had something inside this vacuum chamber, basically topple over under stress and knock the whole arrangement inside of it down. Oh. And, uh, and I remember the precise moment I was sitting in this, you know, very, and when I say that these things take a long term time to build, I mean like some of the pre-results needed to, to even run these experiments are things that took a year to set up. Oh my God. Um, and just, I mean, to give you an example, to get a vacuum chamber to ultra high vacuum, you have to first heat it to 400 degrees centigrade, which involves wrapping it in heating bands, putting all this aluminum foil on it. Um, then you have to use a rough pump to pump everything out of it. Then you use what's called an iron getter pump, which is like a big magnet to pull all the charged particles out. And then at the very end of all this process, you use something called a titanium sublimator pump, which basically turns titanium from solid to gas spits it onto the inside of the vacuum chamber and sticks anything that's left over into the walls. And by this point, you get to 10 to the minus 8 millibar, which is emptier than space. 
Oh my so, gosh. So, yeah. <laughs> oh, I got one of those bar things right over here for you, Cece. Yeah, sitting on my table. <laughs> yeah. Holy yeah. cow. So, I mean, so to do this, and you think that, you know, so if I've worked four years to, to get this thing to start giving results, and all of a sudden, all this junk falls inside the vacuum chamber, and, and I'm sitting there looking at these false color images on the computer, which are these cameras that are observing from the side, and I'm just thinking, what now what we're gonna have to take all the optics around the vacuum chamber out and have to reopen this thing redo all of this process i just described put everything back i mean it really was was sort of like a make or break like this is it moment and so i i went up to see my supervisors my uh, supervisor is the word for we use for phd advisor Mm -hmm. here and uh and i and i said axel what do i do um and he basically looked at me and said look uh, honestly um cut your losses, uh, write it up as a proposal paper. And it's, you know, it is what it is because you need to finish because, you yeah. know, you're, you're four and the clock is ticking. And unless you find more funding, sadly, that's that's the nature of the beast. Right. And I went outside and at the time I, I, I was dating somebody in the other lab. So my, my then boyfriend, who was in the other experiment, which is going quite well uh, to my chagrin. Yeah. And, uh, and I, <laughs> I, 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 I sort of went back to my lab with him and his lab mate and a few other people from around the department. And we all just stood around this thing as if we were looking at this, you know, dead animal. Right. Uh, and I just started sobbing, Mark. And I was crying because I thought I, I, four years of my life and now I can't quit now. I have right. no, no chance. So I went back to see Axel and I said, you know what? Forget it. I don't care if it takes me another year. And if I'm here for five and a half years doing my PhD or even six, I'm not going to give up until I travel. You go, girl. (laughs) So that's it. I would say. Wow. Yeah. uh, Big, big one. Well, persistence, tenacity. Those are all the signs of great entrepreneurs, great people. Yeah. They don't ever, ever give up. I cited Richard Noble. I mean, he was uh, test running one of his land speed cars before they were going to bring it to the U.S. to run it. And he he made one last run and the chutes failed. And at 180 miles an hour, he had to either go into a cavern or turn the thing sideways and crash it. That's at 180. That's when he slowed down to 180. So, yeah, you just don't give up. You just don't give up. Wow, what a story. Well... But you did it. You got there. So kudos to you for what you've done. Let's take a short break and thank our sponsors. We come back. I want to dive a little deeper into your car passion because that's what we're all about here. So sit tight. Keep the seatbelt on. Watch out for those negative, positive atom ion zinga zingers and whatever CC plays with. And we'll be right back. So what do you do after running a race team for 27 years with over 100 podiums, multiple Daytona wins, and a win at Le Mans? Well, if you're racer and the Racers Group team owner, Kevin Buckler, you start Adobe Road Winery. It's located in Petaluma, California, and he and his team have created a winning combination with the Racing Series, four ultra-premium red wine blends that are in a class of their own. Like racing, these wines comprise of art, precision, engineering, science, wrapped in a whole lot of fun. You can choose from four blends titled Redline, Apex, Shift, and the 24. Today, I'm going to talk about Shift. This wine was awarded 93 points by Robert Parker's Wine Advocate. It's balanced and spicy with dark blueberries and a cigar aroma. The unique bottle shape features a vintage-inspired metal gated shift back with carbon fiber, and the cork is topped with a five-speed shift knob. That's right. There's going to be some battles at the dinner table on who gets to keep the cork after this bottle has been enjoyed. The Racing Series is a delicious gift for the automotive enthusiast in your life. And I've got a deal for you. 
If you use the code CARSYEAH, all one word in caps, at checkout, you get $10 off any purchase of the wines from the Racing Series. Your wine ships promptly and arrives quickly right at your door. Use the code CARSYEAH at checkout and get $10 off your purchase from the Racing Series today. There's always a seat at the table for excellence with the Racing Series. Go to adoberoadwines.com and use the code CARSYEAH today. Cheers! My favorite collector car magazine is Keith Martin's Sports Car Market. I've been a subscriber for decades. Sports Car Market is the Wall Street Journal for enthusiasts and collectors. It's your monthly must-read. Whether you dream of owning a collector car, maybe you have two, or maybe you've got 200. Sports Car Market has been around for 31 years, and it's filled with valuable articles, intelligent write-ups, and the latest auction sales. Go to sportscarmarket.com and subscribe today. Here's a couple deals I have for you just for listening here on Cars Yeah. If you use the checkout code Cars Yeah, you'll receive a 50% discount on your digital subscription at Sports Car Market. That's an exclusive offer from Cars Yeah. And guess what? Here's another deal. If you'd like to get the actual magazine, use the code BSH for buy, sell, hold. That's code BSH. And you'll get $10 off your annual print subscription. That's right, $10 off. Both of these are exclusive offers here at Cars Yeah for Sports Car Market Magazine. Just go to sportscarmarket.com and get your deals today. Let's take a pit stop from the conversation and talk about my charity of choice here at Cars Yeah, America's Automotive Trust. America's Automotive Trust is a group of like-minded nonprofits working together to preserve and promote car culture across the country. Together, they provide scholarships and grants to aspiring technicians and restoration artists. They provide youth education programs and bring communities together through auto-related events, car shows, and drives. One of those nonprofits is very near and dear to my heart because it's right down the road from the Cars Yeah! headquarters. It's the LeMay America's Car Museum in Tacoma, Washington. One of the world's truly great automobile collections and one of those must-see bucket list destinations for car people like you and me. If you haven't seen it, I hope you make a trip soon. And if you have seen it, it's probably time to visit again. To learn more about this fantastic museum, go to www.americascarmuseum.org. And while you're there, you can donate to help them keep their engines running. That's www.americascarmuseum.org carmuseum.org All right, CC, we're back and I want to talk about cars and I want you to share a story that instigated this passion for cars. You grew up in a family car dad, car mom I mean, I've got a great picture of you sitting on the fender of a very special car so tell me the pivotal moment in your life when you knew you were going to be a car gal. So I will tell you the evolution for me was one that went visual driving and then owning and fixing. And this is, I, I, I suspect, only the start of my journey yet. But because it began with visual, I'm going to back up and tell you that my interest in cars in the, in the very beginning was not one of tinkering with them or driving with them, as opposed to what everyone assumes because I'm a physicist. So I, I actually, I was brought up very much as a girly girl doing ballet, piano, and sort of girly things. And, and you know, Mexico in the, in the 80s was you know, was sort of normal to do this. And, uh, and I don't think 
in the very beginning, my interest with cars was really on the technical side. So when I first started being interested with cars, it was it was mainly looking at how beautiful they were as objects. So I would be taken to these concours and I'd go around with a camera and I'd take pictures of all these cars and be sort of you know amazed by them. And I remember the first car that visually I fell in love with was seeing Ralph Lauren's Bugatti Atlantique, Ooh. the Black Atlantique yes. at Pebble Beach. And I took a picture of the car. And I had a this big blown up picture of the car. By the time I went to Princeton, I had a picture of this car above my desk. And there's a very funny note underneath it that said, this is why you work hard, Cece. <laughs> and as it happened, I ended up being roommates with uh, Lauren Bush when I was at Princeton. Oh, wow. And Lauren Bush ended up dating and then marrying David Lauren, yeah. Ralph Lauren's son. Yeah, yeah. So at one point when they started dating Ralph Lauren, gave me a book of his, you know, the collection, the Ralph Lauren collection. And I remember telling him about this Atlantique very excitedly and saying, you know, um, David, you know, this, I, I love your father's car and blah, blah, blah. Many years later, uh, I think it was 2013, Ralph took the car to Villa Desta to show. Yeah. And at this point, I'd been going to Villa Desta with my parents and my then boyfriend. And so I go along to Villa Desta. I was living in Switzerland at the time. And I meet up with the whole family. And there was this really magical moment where we're sitting in the bar and I'm sitting with them. And, and David leans over to Ralph and he says, Dad, you know, Cece used to have a picture of your car over her desk <laughs> at the university thing, you know, and it was just, you know, this fantastic wow. sort of thing of seeing it there. And yeah. So that that's my visual journey. Now my my driving journey, the moment I fell in love with driving classic cars, this this was an experience with very dear friends of ours, uh, Tom and Gwen Price. Tom and Gwen and and, and their family and I have that's been my family. We've done classic cars and tours together uh, many, many times in the past. And uh, at some point they invited me to the Rally Nippon in Japan with them. Oh, and cool. so out we went. And yeah, it was Tom and Gwen were in their Cal Spider and their son Greg and I were in a 275 GT4. Oh, oh, oh. Not a bad car to be driving. Not so, a bad so, car indeed. Yeah. So, oh so, my gosh. So I'm over the moon because I'm getting to drive this car and Tom bless us. So I think he let me drive his cars before my dad let me drive his. And, and, uh, and <laughs> so we. <laughs> well, your dad knew car. more than he did, maybe. <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe that. Was I just got the don't scratch them, move the way with that belt buckle for my dad. Yes. And uh, and so on this one particular day, we were been driving all day and we got to a driving change in the afternoon. We stopped at a great shot at the petrol station of the two cars. And all of a sudden we see that the, the skies are starting to darken really badly. And we've heard that there's a typhoon that is coming to the north of the island uh -oh. and it's going to start storming very, very badly. Um, and of course, I say typical me, you know, oh, no, Greg, I'll take this drive. I'm fine. <laughs> well, we start driving. And Mark, it started raining so hard that I couldn't, you couldn't see an inch in front of oh, me. You that's, couldn't see. That's frightening. In a normal car, yes. much less and, 275. So yeah, not, yeah I'm, I'm in his car. Yeah. And that particular car, as a left-hand drive car and a right-hand drive country where the, the street signs make no sense because they're in kanji of course. so i'm going okay well all i'm going to do is i'm going to follow these two red taillights in front of me and hope for the best yeah and uh and you know eventually we found our way home we got out and i was just you know it was the happiest moment because i just thought and tom was so so impressed with me he kept telling everyone how fantastic i was <laughs> and i think that was that was my sort of like falling in love with driving moment but then if i come to the owning bit this is the owning fixing and driving but the, the the car that made me fall in love with classic cars fully and wholly is my Triumph TR3. So I have a 1955 Triumph TR3. It was my first classic car, the first classic car I owned, um, the first classic car where I 
uh, looked under the bonnet and tried to understand what was going on. The first classic car that, that left me by the side of the road that I needed <laughs> do something about and you know and the first one that I drove I, on on a daily basis around the Cotswolds and I think this particular car is really like that's where I, I got hooked um, and I have a really nice memory of doing a rally in Tuscany with my mother so she's always my navigator now for my for my rallies to my detriment because my mother <laughs> gets this time and um and we had a monnet in the car so we thought well you know we're home free because all we need to do is reset this GPS tracker, this monet, and then we'll, we'll be fine. And so off we go. And at some point, my distracted mother um, forgot to reset the monet. I went, Mom, did you reset the monet? Oh. Oh, no, I forgot. And so, you know, we, we, we go we go wrong at some point. And uh, it's one of those, you know, comic situations where you see other cars coming back the other way. And uh -huh. then you go back that way. And then you all turn around. And at some point, we all disperse in the forest. It was very funny. And we ended up on this unmarked gravel road we lost all cell phone reception we had no idea we were literally just in the forest like it's <laughs> narrow road going downhill my mother is going you're going to kill me i i feel this is the end this is the end this is the end and we basically we, and i was quite frightened i must say and i and and then we come out this clearing up this forest road and all of a sudden we are in this majestic view in the middle of, you know, Tuscany, like outside Florence. And it's wow. just, we looked inside and there's this tour bus full Japanese tourists getting out to take pictures. And I'm like, mom, you know what? I don't know if we're even meant to be here, but sharing this moment with you right now, yeah. this beautiful view, you know, I don't care that we got lost. We can be there an hour late. It doesn't right. matter. This is what it's all about, you know, and you forget every one of your problems for that for that one hour that i was driving all i was focusing on was not killing my mother and keeping this car on the road <laughs> and and that triumph tr3 has a special name right it does her name is froglet froglet Frog. yeah absolutely froglet beautiful car by the way all your cars are beautiful oh what some fun stories here well well you, you already answered the next question you talked about froglet that was really your first special car right Yes, that was my yeah. very okay. Sorry, I've gone ahead of myself. No, yes. that's okay because you know that's good. We, we we have lots to talk about today, but I'm glad you told it that way because that was a very very cool story, and you get to share that with your mom. I mean, you'll never forget it, and here you are sharing it again. Your mom's probably shared it over a glass of wine with friends. I mean, <laughs> yeah, very cool. Well, I'm going to ask you something nobody's ever asked you before, Cece. I'm almost certain of this. I'm going to crawl into your head. I'm going to be your psychiatrist today. If you woke up tomorrow. And you were manifest as a car. Now, this isn't what you want to be. So, you know, if you want to be a beautiful Ferrari, which, of course, you could certainly be, but that's not what this question's about. It's more about the, your personal attributes as a person manifest in a vehicle. What would Cece Muldoon be? So I must say that I... I, I I did look at this question previously, and I had I did think about it. So I okay. I, I <laughs> good good. You're you're abiding by the rules. That's a good sign. No, it's like abiding by the rules. So I'm going to tell you what my 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 sort of train of thought when I was how I arrived at the answer I did, and then I will tell you that the answer was provided to me by a friend, and it's so funny that oh. I'm going to read you what he said because oh, it is okay. that funny. All right. So I thought if I'm going to be a car, I've got to be a race car because I'm exceedingly competitive yeah. and I like to win. So I've got to be a race car. And then I thought, okay, so what car, what car would I be? Would I be a simple, would I be a silver arrow? No, because I'm actually quite complicated. I'm, I'm pretty, I'm pretty difficult. So I've got to be something <laughs> like just not, 
not not very nice or easy to drive. It's got to be something a little bit complicated. And then, you know, I'm sort of thinking around these cars and I'm thinking, oh, I really want to be a 412P, but I can't really, but that's a bit masculine and I can't, you know, I'm not really. Mm. So so I'm, I'm having this conversation with my friend Peter Reed and he, he says to me, uh, probably a race car because you like to be first. So he echoes my thoughts. Yep. You are an Anglophile despite being constructed overseas. A bit like the Bentley Speed 8 that won Le Mans in 2003, and that was bloody complicated. Bentley had very low miles per gallon, so it consumed a lot of liquid. Who does that remind me of? <laughs> <laughs> that is perfect. Wow. <laughs> that would be me. <laughs> yeah, I love it. You know, that's why this question is so much fun when you really put some thought to it. And I'm, I'm happy that you shared it with a friend because I've had many guests that have done that, and they give you a perspective of yourself that you can't see, oh, of course. Absolutely. Or they might enlighten you a little bit to something you don't want to see. Who knows? But that's not bad. Yeah. Bentley Speed 8. I love it. All right, Cece, we're entering what I call the last lap. You're a lady who moves fast. You love to do things, uh, accomplish things. I'm going to fire off a series of questions and ask you to give our listeners some quick blips of that Bentley Speed 8 throttle. So here we go. What's one of your personal habits you believe has contributed to your many successes in life? It's one that I hate in myself, but I think can sometimes be be positive, which is that I am very obsessive. I'm a perfectionist, and I will obsess over getting something just, just right, and I will hammer at it until it is. And that can be anything from something as annoying as I lost an earring and I need to go back and look in Hyde Park to make sure I didn't drop it over <laughs> to getting something really, really perfect for my company. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I would expect nothing less from a physicist. How about if I could arrange for you to have a drink or a meal with anyone in the automotive industry? Now, this could be somebody who's living or someone who's passed. Who would it be? Hands down, Enzo Ferrari. If I could bring that man back from the grave. I mean, I... I have so much admiration for, I think he was, uh, you know, a difficult character, but when you see his early history, such a tenacious fighter, you know, he, he, he lost his dad, he lost his uncle, you know, people don't go back and see where he came from and how he had to fight to be, to build what he did. And I think the mark that he built, it's, it's my obsession in life. I'm, you know, I'm just, just as sick as my poor father by this point, <laughs> and I would do anything to meet him. Right, and he lost his son, of course, too. A, a super yeah, tragic. Exactly. Yes, exactly. Dino, exactly. yeah. And we're going to talk about a Dino, I have a feeling, in a minute here. But <laughs> how about, because we have to talk about the Dino. It's one of my favorite cars. How about the best automotive advice someone else has offered you when it comes to classic cars or driving cars or being around cars? Hands down comes from Ed Gilbertson, who we already spoke of, and it's our mantra for Icy Jag, and it's cars are meant to be driven, motorcycles are meant to be ridden. <laughs> and I, I live that with my Dino. I, I drive it all the time, and guess what? I have now dinged it, and it doesn't matter because I, you know, it's being used, so that would be my... Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I said, actually, I'm going to add one to that. Okay. My, you know, I think we spoke about this last time on Bicell Hole, but my father always says that cars are um, passports to experiences for him. And I think I will add that one there because I think cars are ways to make memories. And, and you know, and it's it's the, the number one thing that I love about owning cars is that they allow me to meet people and do things that I wouldn't otherwise. Oh, absolutely. And tell, uh, tell my listeners here a little bit about this beautiful 74 Dino you have because it's it's, it's your pride and joy. I know it's one of the cars you would never, ever let go. Dino was the first, and I know they didn't call them Ferraris, but they're Ferraris. First Ferrari <laughs> I ever drove back when I was, I think I was 16 when I first I had a car detailing business, and a guy named Sam Salemi had one. I think I told you this on Buy, Sell, Hold. It was originally owned by Cher. 
uh, which kind of made it very unique and different. Had uh, Baroni wire wheels, which you don't see on those too much. I think I prefer the wheels you have. But yeah, tell us a little bit about this uh, beautiful purple Ferrari Dino. Yeah, so she's, uh, her name is Viola. Um, Viola. Which, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which stems from the fact that she is Viola Metallizzato. So there was 31 made in Viola Metallizzato. Mm. And uh, this is a, t- she's a 246 GTS. So she's uh, open top. And uh, she's just the most, as, as a dear friend of mine likes to say, it's the most fun you can have with no horsepower. <laughs> the, <laughs> the car feels to me, you know, I, I, I've had the chance to drive a few, a few nice Ferraris in my life, maybe not, not the most powerful ones, but for me, the Dino feels like, like a whole experience in and of itself. It's sort of the wind in, in the car and then the sound of the engine just behind you and the clicks of the gearbox and the way it handles. And it just feels like you're driving something much more powerful than it is. Yes. And, and in terms of looks, I think the muscularity, I, I, it's, to me, it's one of the most beautiful cars ever made along with an E-Type. You know, I think, I think it's, it's it's a car that is timeless. Um, it's beautiful. It's sexy. It's kind of it's classic in the sense that it's, it looks modern despite its age. And you know I'm absolutely in love with my Dino. I wouldn't trade it for the world. Of course, no. <laughs> and you know they're so beautiful when you're sitting in them. You're so low. Those big fenders are rising up on each side of the front end. And for a long time, I kept thinking, why are these things not worth very much? I mean, they were for a long time. You could get one for forty, fifty, sixty thousand dollars, and of course, shoulda, coulda, woulda. Words of a loser. Somebody yeah. told me once, shoulda bought, shoulda <laughs> bought one back then because now they are far, far, far from that. So, yeah, most definitely beautiful. Now, how about a resource? Is there a go-to for you that you might think our listeners would benefit from that they maybe haven't heard of? A website could be a podcast, an app. It could be anything, but something that you find yourself going back to. Oh gosh, I mean, for for cars, for me, my my because of my obsession that I've spoken about, it's always doing Ferrari chat or Barchetta really as resources. But I would encourage people to go look at IC Jag actually to look at our website, so icjag.org, because there's you know there's there's a lot on on our mission and and how we look at classic cars. And then I'm trying to think in general. Well, obviously, if anybody wants to come check our website out, they're more than welcome to. So <laughs> Veravin, right? Yes, it's veravin.com. Very com. easy. Yes. Now, is there a book that you'd like to share with our listeners? Absolutely. So I've got one car book and then one nonfiction and one fiction. Okay. So my car book, I would say, hands down, uh, Dino the Little Ferrari by Doug Nye. <laughs> uh, <laughs> which, of course, for some, but, you know, because he documents the evolution of the Dino engines. They're not the car itself, but the, the, the engine that was in the F2 cars in the 50s and then the F1 cars. And, and I think um, it's, it's a spectacularly written book. It's got everything about the engine and all the details in the world, but it's also telling the story of, of Ferrari, which is, you know, for me, a, a really special part of the mark. So that I would really recommend reading and then in terms of other stuff non-car stuff so a non-fiction i've read recently which i really really enjoyed um is sapiens by yuval noah harari which is for all intents and purposes a an anthropology book but it's actually uh, a really like it's just a fascinating read and mm-hmm. I, I highly recommend that um and then Fiction, I would say Somerset Mom of Human Bondage, because it just teaches you so much about human relationships. And it's one of the nice books I've read in a while um, on a sort of fiction front. Those are my three. Oh, I'll add one. I'm, I'm, I'm looking at one. I just have to add it. I'm oh, so sorry. Yes. I have to add Go ahead. It. Surely you're joking, Mr. Feynman, because <laughs> it is a fantastic, funny book. And it just shows what a great spirit Richard Feynman was. 
Love it. I love it. I love it. Well, I'll make sure I put list, a link to all these great books on CC's show notes page. Go to carsia.com, type in CC, C-I-C-I, Muldoon, and all these books will be listed there. There's a great place, by the way, on the Carsia website called Guest Recommended Books, and there are over 1,650 books listed there with quick, easy clicks wow. to buy. Check it out. Yeah, it's a great resource. All my past inspiring automotive enthusiast guests have recommended some fantastic reads and you've got some books on here that are not on the list yet so very nice and of course doug nye he was a guest here on cars yeah all right we are up to the checkered flag here cc and this last question can be a bit of a doozy i'm gonna buy you a collector car today but there are some rules of the game that could make this very very challenging and these are the rules you can't sell it to buy a bunch of other cars with so if you sell all your cars which you're gonna have to because this is the only one electric <laughs> car you can have you can't have me buy an expensive car and then you buy your cars back and have a bunch of cash that little you're too smart i know you would do that <laughs> so that little trick's off the table it's like get finding the uh, genie's lantern say give me a thousand more wishes uh then I, I want you to drive it but i don't think that's a problem for you no dust collectors here but again that one rule about it being the only car so either you can keep one of the cars you have which means you're going to be a cheap date for me today. Or you're going to be a very expensive date, I have a feeling. Uh, and I'm going to buy you a car today. So, Cece, what am I buying? Well, sadly for you, I was going to be expensive already. But after this weekend, I've upgraded to even more expensive. Oh, no. So I was Ouch. <laughs> Ouch. I was going to say a cow spider, but there was this most fantastic GTO at Hampton Court this weekend. It was the second prototype car. And I looked at it and all over again, I fell in love with the car and I just went, man, honestly, I will work my life to have a, to have a GTO. Oh, yeah. Well, <laughs> that's my motivation. Yeah. For what they cost, we'd have to work. I'd have to work a couple <laughs> lives, I think. Oh, my gosh. Now, the second prototype car. So I'm. what color was that GTO? It's like a silver blue color. It's a silver. It's a silver color, but it looks yeah. like a so like a bluish silver. It's just stunning. Um, it's I think the chassis number is three three eight seven. If anybody wants to to look it up, was that um, car on the lawn at Pebble when they had all the GTOs there? You know, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. To, well, it wasn't in this color configuration. Certainly okay. not. I'm not. Don't know yeah. if it would have been. I'll have to look that up because, yeah, I was trying to think of which car that was. And, of course, there's some very unique ones. I remember years ago being in Japan and seeing the uh, Sterling Moss car, the green one. Uh, yeah. I think is the only green one when it was part of the uh, Matsuda collection. And, of yeah. course, up here in the Pacific Northwest, John Shirley has one that he's since painted white, which I think is the only yeah. white one that you see out there. Uh, which yes, is, yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And you know what? I've just looked it up and this was, it was, it was a, a pebble in okay. that display. What color yeah. was it at that time? Uh, I don't know what color was it at that time. I think it was the same. I think it was more, it looks like a darker blue, but yeah. still like a silver. Yeah, there was yeah. a car. Uh, Bruce Canapa brought that car to Pebble that year uh, because I remember yeah. him driving it on the lawn and parking it and thinking, oh, blue one. Uh, very beautiful. And uh, I think he, maybe he owned it or it was driving it probably for a client. I don't know. He's had so many cool cars to run through Canapa design. It's interesting because I'm looking at a picture of it next to Chris Cox's car, you know, the blue and yellow one, and it actually looks just as blue. Mm. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah, hmm. could have been the same one. Well, I'll have to look that up. A GTO. Oh, my gosh. Okay, I'm going to have to call my banker here. I'm going to go, <laughs> another GTO picker here, buddy, and he's going to go, Mark, you got to stop giving away all these cars. You're not going to yeah, have enough absolutely. left to live on at the end of your life. Well, Cece, I'd be more than happy to buy you a GTO. You've taken me on a fantastic <laughs> ride. I really, really enjoyed myself this morning. Before I let you go, though, before I let you drive down the road in that beautiful GTO, could you give us maybe one little parting piece of wisdom or guidance? 
Oh, goodness. Always stay hopeful and optimistic in life. Um, things generally happen for a reason, which translates to you can always find a silver lining for just about anything. I love it. I love it, especially this day and age and especially this year when there's been so many challenges for so many people. Do your best to stay positive in the words of C.C. Muldoon. And what's the best way for people to follow you and keep up with all the things you're doing in life? Sure. Um, well, I'm CC Muldoon on most of my social media. So CC Muldoon on Instagram, on Facebook, on Twitter, and on LinkedIn. And uh, I think I might be, so my full name is Cecilia, Cecilia Muldoon. So I think I might be Cecilia Muldoon on LinkedIn. And otherwise, our website is uh, com, And you can find Verivin on all the aforementioned social media as well. Uh, V-E-R-I-V-I-N. Well, it's, uh, if you were here, it's very van because yes. it stems from the world verification and van for French for wine, but ah. very van, it has evolved to be. So. Very van. All right. I'll make sure I put links to that. Uh, check out what Cece is up to. Follow her. You'll see all the fun she's having with cars. And if you're fortunate and you follow her on social media, you will get to uh, at least meet Froglet Hector yeah. Viola. Uh, some yeah. of the fans that live in her garage. So uh, very, very cool. Cece, this has been so much fun. Thank you for spending some time with me today, for sharing your amazing life with the listeners here. Until you and I talk again, I'll see you down the road. Thanks, Mark. This Bye. was fun. Bye-bye. If you're listening to Cars Yeah, you've probably spent some time working on your favorite ride. But how confident are you working on your finances? You may be able to rebuild a fuel injection system, but can you decipher the details of a mutual fund? If you're like me, investments, insurance, annuities, budgeting, and other financial concepts may seem a bit daunting. But what if I told you there's a book that describes these subjects and more in an easy-to-read and a very humorous way? My friend Chris Kimball, CFP, a longtime sponsor and past guest here on Cars yeah, has written that book, and it's titled The Saga of Ike and Penny, a couple's humorous journey through the confusing world of finance. It's a fun look at things you need to know. Everything from investing to effective ways to get rid of credit card debt, and it's probably the only book on finance with a VMAX on the front cover and a classic Mini Cooper on the back. The book's available at Amazon for just $10, and this book will dramatically improve the direction of your financial future. I gave copies to each of my children. All securities are through Money Concepts Capital Corp. Christopher Kimball Financial Services is not affiliated with Money Concepts Capital Corp. Get your copy, The Saga of Ike and Penny, today. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah! Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah!